Amen. You guys can go ahead and take a seat. For those of you who don't know me, Jeremy mentioned I am Tanner Powell. I am the college director here at Coastway Church, and I'm so excited to be speaking to you guys today. Me and my wife, Sydney, we've been married for three years, and as Jeremy mentioned, we have a baby on the way. It's actually due in just two weeks, and her name is Piper Powell, and we're so excited. Now, people have been giving me a hard time. They're like, Tanner, you know her name's Piper Powell, right? That means her initials are going to be PP. And I say, I know, mine are TP, but it's okay, because bathroom lead initials builds character. So you got to love it. Uh, we're going to be in Psalm chapter 1 this morning. You go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, or if you have it on your app, you can go ahead and start working your way there. But what we are talking about today is we're talking about how to live as Christians. What does this Christian life look like in this world? And if you're here today and you don't consider yourself a Christian, I just want to say, I'm, I'm so glad you're here. We're thrilled you are here because I think today is really going to give you the opportunity to see what we as Christians truly believe and how Jesus has impacted every area of our life. So when talking about life, I, I wanted to see what Google had to say about it. So I went researching this topic of what life is really about, how we should live it. And man, there was a lot of information. Overwhelming. And I found things like quizzes that will tell me what I value most in life. I found a lot of help, self-help guides, such as 28 ways to live a happy life. And what I found was there's just such a wide buffet of how to live this life, what life is really about. And it's honestly just overwhelming as a whole. But when doing this research, I, I really think it boiled down to just a couple of questions. There are really only about three questions that people are asking about life. They're asking, where do I find happiness? Where's happiness found in this world? What can I accomplish? How is my life going to make a difference? And the lastly, how will I be remembered? How will I be remembered by my friends and family? Now, these aren't the only questions that are being asked. Like I said, there's many of them. But I think these are three foundational ones that it comes down to. And when it comes to where do I find happiness, people are asking this question. They'll say happiness is found in someone else. It might be a spouse, it might be a kid or grandkids, or maybe a a loved one. Um, Or they may say happiness is found in an experience, like that all-inclusive vacation or taking a European tour. Or maybe happiness is found in a hobby, something you enjoy doing, or a sport like golf or basketball. Happiness is found in these things in this world. And when it comes to accomplishment, the world is saying you find success in your careers what you can accomplish. How will I make that bigger salary? How can I get that six-figure salary? When am I going to get that job promotion? They want to live in the best house in the neighborhood. Maybe they want to start a company. They, they want to accomplish something in life. That's what the world is saying. And lastly, they, they want to be remembered. All of us want to be remembered. They want that recognition from others. And this leads us to go after awards and prizes and accolades They want to be known for their values, their good moral life they lived. And when you step back of these three categories, there are a million ways to live. But all have one thing in common. There are a million ways to live, but all are temporary and none actually satisfy what you're truly longing for. Think about it. When it comes to happiness in the world, it will let you down. The people that make you the happiest also will probably cause you the most pain. The vacation you took will end. That body will fail you in those sports. 
trying to find your happiness in this world will leave you searching because what may provide you happiness in one moment will not last forever. Same is true for success. What can I accomplish in the world that's going to matter in light of eternity? That big house, that promotion, that doctorate degree you earned, what is, going to, what is it going to matter when you're all gone? Even if you're able to help others and make a big difference, what good is it when they're all gone? All you accomplished was something that lasted for a second and then vanished like that. And the same problem happens with being remembered. What good is it to be remembered when you don't even get to experience it? Everyone wants to be known. Everyone wants to be loved. But what good is it when you're dead? And quite frankly, your memory will even die. Those who remember you will eventually pass away, and with them so will your memory. Like I said, all of these things are momentary. The world wants to give you, get you to give your life to something that lasts for just a moment, might give you that pleasure for just a moment, and then it's gone. Psalm 1, on the other hand, that we're going to look at today, presents something very different. It says that there aren't a million ways to live. There are actually only two. And this, this psalm is typically referred to as a wisdom psalm, quite frankly, because it only gives two paths. And this isn't the psalmist trying to make something very complex, very simple. No, what it's doing, it's taking something so confusing, something so existential, and it's boiling it down to something so foundational. It says there are two ways to live. It takes something so gray, such as life and its biggest questions, and makes them black and white. That is what Psalm 1 is all about. And what we're going to see is there's two ways to live, one with God, one without God. There are two paths we can take, there are two conditions on this path, and there are two destinations that we'll reach. And so let me go ahead and give you the sermon in a sentence. This is what it's all about. You have to step out early. I want to go ahead and give you what it's all about right here. We live well by delighting well in God and his way. Let me say it again. We live well by delighting well in God and his way. So turning to the Psalms. So the Psalms is a large book of the Bible. It's written nearly 3,000 years ago. These are the songs of the Israelites. Jesus would have sang these in his day. So to keep in tradition with how the Psalms are typically read, I want to do something a little out of the ordinary. Is I want us to actually stand to our feet and let's read this Psalm together. So go ahead, if you have your Bible, stand to your feet. It's going to be on the screen. You can follow along with me. But let's read this Psalm how it's traditionally been read. Right here we go. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in, in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Right, thank you. You guys can go and take a seat. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the first 
word in this 150 book song, 50 chapter psalm book. And blessed, when we, when we look at what it actually means, it's really simple. It translates literally to happy. It means happy. Happy is the man. Go ahead and see how this is already answering the existential cry. What can make me happy in life? The psalm is going to tell us. A, a better way to even read this verse one is the happy person is the one who. It's going to show us two ways to live, and it will show us the way the truly happy person takes in life. So we're going to break this down. There are two paths. Let's look at verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Right here, we get a glimpse of the first path. I like to call this path the path of the world. The happy man does not take this path, guys. The world says happiness is found in money, your job, your spouse, your family, retirement, your friends, your house, your vacation, your comfort. No, happiness is not found in the way of the world. The world wants to draw you away from God and towards sin. Now, things like money, job, family, those aren't bad, simple things. They're actually really good things. They're blessings from God. But it's when you put all your hope, all your trust, all your delight in those things, it becomes simple. Whatever you put above God is a sin. And what the world wants you to do is to put God in the back seat of your life and to take control of the will, take control of your happiness in this world. Let's look at the progression of this verse. First, it says the man is walking. He is walking by the counsel, the advice, the guidance, the instruction of the wicked. He's just trying out what the world says. It's not a habit. It's just, just a one trying. He's dabbling in it. He's saying, oh, I, I can miss a date night with my wife. I can I to hang out with my friends. I, I can miss that. It's okay. I, can spend, I can't spend time with the kids right now. I've had a long day at work. I just need to relax and have some me time. Oh, I don't really need to pray about this job promotion. It, it means a bigger salary. I'm just going to take it. I don't need to pray about it. Oh, I'll just watch one movie that happens to have a sex scene in it. Oh, I'll just have one drink here in my dorm room with my friends. It'll be okay. Oh, I don't need to tithe this month. It's been really tough. God knows I've had, been struggling financially. See, it's subtle. It's small. It doesn't appear sinful on the surface, but it actually is. It is the world grasping you, drawing you in. And the happy man does not take this path. And I believe that a lot of us who go to church probably fall in this category. We want, we, we, we see an appeal of the world that they actually have the happiness. We just want to try it out. We're like, oh, could it really just be as good as it looks? But don't buy the lie. And see the progression here. He is first walking in this way. He's walking by the counsel of the wicked. And then he stops. And he stands. He stands in the way. That, that first little taste, that appetite, what's so appetizing at first has drawn him in until it becomes almost like a habit. You keep going back to those websites you know you shouldn't be looking at. You who are married keep flirting with that guy or girl at work. You never make time for your family anymore because you're obsessed with your career. And you aren't praying about, about one big decision. You're not praying about any of the decisions you're making in life. You're just doing them without God. You're, you're standing in the way until lastly, you take a seat at the table. You sit down. Your life has become so immersed, so focused, so committed to the culture 
around you that it's completely shaped who you are. It's completely shaped your identity. You have completely given your life to the ways of the world. So much so that you're now sitting at the table. You're sitting opposed from God in his way. Now, I think a lot of us in this room is going to say, that, that one's not me. I'm not the sitter. I'm not sitting opposed. I am maybe the walk, and I might try everyone's up, but I'm not sitting. Let me ask you a question. Are you living out of your identity in Christ? If not, you're probably sitting opposed to the gospel. Now, we just finished an identity series last week that walked through what it looks like to live out our identities as Christ followers and how that has changed everything in our lives. I challenge you, go back through those identities. Are you living these out? With a worshiper, are you spending time with God in his word and prayer? As a family member, are you investing in the local church? As a servant, are you stewarding your uh, time and talent for the good of those around you? As steward, are you stewarding your finances for the good of the church and advancing God's kingdom? As a witness, are you sharing your faith in the places and spaces where you work, play, and live? Are you doing those things? Look at your life. Are you living out of your identity in Christ? If not, you are probably sitting opposed to the gospel. That's challenging for me when we think about it. We have to ask, what ways are we sitting in this world and not walking with God? 1 John 2, 15 and 17 says, Do not love the world or the things in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Finding your identity and happiness in this world is futile. It will not last. The happiness is not found there. The happy man, the blessed man, does not take it. So what verse 1 is really getting at here, it's living in the world, but not of the world. Now, we don't want to just take this verse and isolate ourselves from the world. We don't want to be like monks. I've heard it said, we're not called to be monks, but missionaries to the culture. We are to be in the world, but live differently than the world, being a light and a blessing to those around us. That is what the happy man is called to do. So the blessed man does not take the path of the world, but he takes the path of the word. What we're going to see in verse 2. Blessed is a man who doesn't surround or immerse himself with the wicked sinners. No, he doesn't do that. He doesn't walk, stand, or sit in their midst, but his delight. Stop there. See, there's a shift here. the, The psalmist could have easily said, yes, he doesn't walk, stand, or sit among the wicked, but he walks in the counsel of God. He stands on the foundation of the gospel. He sits among the righteous. Yeah, that would have flowed great for the psalmist. We're like, what, what, what changed here? It says his delight. See, it goes from an action to an affection, an, an affection that we are to have in our hearts in verse 2. It all starts with delighting. And now I know a lot of you guys are up here saying, Tanner, you're saying these words, happy, delight, a lot. You must really care about that, but does that really matter to God? Isn't God just really kind of obsessed with his glory? Does he, not really, he doesn't really care about our happiness that much as long as he gets all the glory. And I just want to say, let me stop you right there. I think you have something very, very wrong about the gospel. It's, it's that God deeply cares about our happiness. He really does. And, and so much so that he has orchestrated the universe 
that he tied his glory. Yes, everything in the universe is for his glory. He has tied that to our happiness, our joy. They're, they're so immersed in one another. Just, just look at the gospel, what it says. It says, we all who have sinned against God, we have put ourselves in the ways of this world only to be found in despair, never finding happiness, apart from any source of happiness. All, all that is just so temporary in this world. And God being the true source of happiness, he could have just left us there. He could have left us without joy forever. But no, he didn't. He so deeply cares about his, our joy that he comes after us. He comes after us in a way that he unites us in Christ to the true source of joy himself. See, God does all the work so he gets all the glory, but we get all the delight. Why? Because we got him. And that's what's so beautiful about the gospel. I love how John Piper says that God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. It's so true. God is, receives so much glory when we have so much joy and delight in him. So the happy man is the one who finds his happiness, his delight in God and in his word. Look at what it says. His delight is in the law of the Lord. This word law here is Torah. Now, this word can have a couple of different meanings. Torah can be referring to the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy. But particularly in the psalm, this word Torah takes on a more broad meaning. It means all of Scripture, all the instruction, all the ways of God. Everything that God teaches us through his word, that is what it's referring to in the psalms. So what we have to look at is God's people are called to walk, to delight in this way. When we have truly been transformed by the gospel, when we truly begin to have a genuine love for God, we have a love, an affection for his way, for his Torah, for his instruction and word. So the happy man delights in the word of God. And how does he delight in it? By meditating on the law day and night. He meditates on it. Now, the Hebrew word here is Hagah. Say it with me. Hagah. One more time. Hagah. Now, this is this low kind of Hagah, up under your breath a little bit. Um, and, and what it's kind of referring to is this like talking, this murmuring, this whispering. And that, that's exactly what it means. It means to whisper, to talk under one's breath, as if you're just kind of talking to yourself. That's what it means to meditate. And think about it. What is he doing? He is murmuring, talking to himself, the truths of Scripture, filling his mind with these truths by repeating them throughout the day, day and night. And where Eastern meditation says to empty your mind, Christian meditation is saying, fill your mind with the truths of Scripture. Speak them to yourselves continually. So the verse is saying the happy man delights in the law. He's whispering to himself all the time. He has it so stored up in his heart and mind that he's just constantly recalling it throughout the day, preaching to himself. He combats the ways of the world with the word of God. And he does not believe the lies, but recalls the truth of the gospel. Think of how good of a practice this would be for us. I'm not saying literally that all of us just need to leave here today and start reciting like John 3.16 in the grocery store. That's how you get a lot of weird looks. Don't do that. Uh, but what I am saying is that we need to leave here and to fill our minds, talk to ourselves the truths of the gospel. When we get up in the morning, when we go to bed at night, all day we need to be remembering this truth that he has given us. Why? Why do we need to do this? Why? Why? Because the world 
is feeding you lies. Satan is trying to get you to believe something else, to go down the wrong path. The world wants you to fall into this trap. And we may think, yes, the world is telling us lies, but you want me to tell you who the biggest liar to yourself is? It's you. You lie to yourself probably more than anyone else in the world. You're the one who says you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not pretty enough. God couldn't love someone like me. You might be saying that to yourself. You, you constantly feed it. If you don't believe me, I'm going to put a warning on this exercise, but I, I would say try this. Go throughout your day. Take a journal. And throughout your day, just one day, just write down your genuine thoughts. Thoughts about yourself. Thoughts about God. Thoughts about others. Get really honest. You don't have to show this to anyone. Get really honest about what you're thinking, what you're truly believing at a foundational level. And what you're going to see is that you are lying to yourself. You're constantly tempted to think, oh, I am not good enough to accomplish this today. Oh, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Stress and anxiety will overcome you. But what we need to do as Christians is we need to combat the world, what we're even feeding ourselves half the time with the word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? So that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All scripture is breathed out by God for our benefit. They, they reveal to us God's ways, truths to hold on to, they're diamond mines of gems that we're to treasure and delight in day and night. They're enough to make the man or woman of God complete, equipped for any good work. There's nothing lacking apart from the Word of God, so we need to meditate on it. One exercise I like to do is, I call this a mirror exercise. This has just been really good for my heart over the years. Um, and what you do, take your Bible and go to your bathroom or in your car. I like to flip down the little visor and look at the mirror. Um, just look at yourself in the eye and you need to preach to yourself the word of God. You need to look down and you need to preach the word of God to yourself. Let me give you an example. I love doing this. I just encourage everyone to just try this once. It will change your, your day, your week. Um, I like to just do it, start in Romans 8. So here, here's an example of what I like to do from Romans 8 starting in 15. I say, Tanner, you did not receive this Spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. No, Tanner, you do not need to fear. Why? Because you have received the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of adoption. Yes, Tanner, you are adopted into God's beautiful family. And I can cry out to him, Abba, Father, Daddy, God, you are my dad. Yes, Tanner, God is your heavenly Father that is there for you, who loves you, who cherishes you. The Spirit bears witness with my spirit that I am a child of God. We are children of God. Tanner, you are a child of God. And if, that, if you're a child, Tanner, that means you're an heir, an heir of God and a co-heir with Christ. You are already seated in the heavenly places with them. Yes, I get to treasure all that, provided that I suffer with them. Yes, this world's going to provide suffering and hardship. There's going to be tough things in this life, but it's all worth it. This light momentary affliction is nothing compared to the glory I have in Christ. I will be glorified with them. Yes, Tanner, you will be glorified no matter what this world throws at you, so go throughout your day. Imagine if you just took two minutes to preach the word of God to yourself in the mirror. And that honestly will change your day. We need to ingest the word, memorize it, preach it to yourself, not just once a day, but throughout our days, not just in the morning quiet time, but no, 
as we're getting up, as we're going throughout our day, cooking meals, taking care of children, working our jobs, going to bed, whatever it may be, we need to be recalling it and being refreshed in it. And I think this exercise has been so good because unless we actually hear it and see it, then we won't believe it. And far too often what I see is Christians miss walking in God's way, typically for one or two reasons. It's typically either a head problem or a heart problem. Now, they're, they're kind of related. I won't get into that. But let me just start with the head problem. One reason a lot of people don't walk in God's way is because they don't know God's way. They don't know it. They don't spend time in God's word. They may say, oh, I pray. I pray to God. I, I ask him for things I need. That he'll just like bless my life. And if he wants me to do something or he's calling me to do something, he'll make it known to me. He'll tell me. Brother or sister, he has told you in his word of God. He has written an entire book for our benefit that we may be complete. We need to know the word of God. That's why we go to the word of God for a word from God, that we know the ways that he is calling us to, what is for our good and flourishing. So the head problem has a simple solution. Study it. Treasure it. Up, treasure it. Store it up in your hearts. Memorize it. That's the head problem, but there's also a heart problem. And this is going to where it hits a lot of us who grew up in the church. We know all the Bible stories. We can recite all the scriptures. We can answer the hard questions about the Bible. But we don't really delight in it. That's what's hard. They have a hard time delighting in God's word. And if this is you, my encouragement to you is to return to your first love. Return to the first time that you tasted the goodness, the sweetness of the gospel in your life. That Jesus Christ came, being fully God and fully man, living the life you could never live, dying in your place, raising to life, giving you life, and providing you with adoption as sons and daughters of God, being co-heirs with him, providing you with steadfast love, conforming you into his image. Remember the goodness of the gospel, all that God has done to reconcile you to himself. Return to that. Return to that first time. And if you're sitting here and you're thinking, man, I've never experienced anything like that. I've never experienced anything where I've actually delighted in God. Hey, let me, let me tell you, today is the day. Today is a day that you can honestly say, I want that. God is offering it to you. He offers us this as grace. It means a free gift. He offers it to us. All we have to do is receive it. Christ has done everything necessary to save us. All we have to do is receive it. And as we're going through this life, we need to be recalling that sweet gospel. The gospel is not just a diving board. It's the entire pool. We live our lives remembering what Christ has done. So when we have experienced the goodness of God in the gospel, we cannot help but delight in him. And when we truly delight in him, we delight in his way. We delight in his word. And we want to be more like Jesus. And God is doing that through his word and his spirit inside of us. So whether it's a head problem or a heart problem that's keeping you from God's way, make today that you're going to change that. And so we have seen there are two paths. There's the path of the world and the path of the word. And now what we're going to look at is, what are the conditions on this path? What does it look like for the person who actually takes these paths? So the condition we're going to look at first is the path of the word, the good path, the path that the happy, blessed man takes. Let's look at it. It's going to show us that this 
has a sense of permanence. The condition is one of permanence, lasting. And verse 4 is going to give us an illustration of what it's going to look like. It's going to paint a picture for us in our minds. It says, he is like a tree. Who is like a tree? The blessed happy man is like a tree. The one who takes the path of the word. The one who delights in the ways of God. Yes, that man's like a tree. Trees are great. We love trees. They're good for the environment. They're big and sturdy. They reach high up in the air. They go down deep in the ground with their roots. Trees give life to its environment. It produces oxygen for the air. It gives food for the humans and animals of the world. Trees are a blessing to its environment. And now in this psalm, this isn't just a normal tree. No, this tree has been planted by streams of water. This tree is connected to the source of life. It draws water from its deep roots that it's going under in the soil, into the river, into the streams that it's planted by. It cannot be uprooted. No wind or storm can uproot this. So let's remember now, this is an illustration of the man on the path of the word, the good path, the path of delighting in God's way. So it says, the blessed man delights and meditates on the word of God. This man is drawing life from the word of God, drawing nourishment, drawing everything they need for flourishing in this world. And it says that this person, this man produces fruit in its season. Now that's an odd phrase. I understand how trees produce fruit, but how do people produce fruit? That's a little weird. And what it's talking about here is talking about spiritual fruit. When we draw from the streams of God's word, we produce spiritual fruit. We bear much fruits. And we see many lists throughout the Bible, especially in the New Testament, of fruits of the Spirit, such as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And what are these things? These are the characteristics of God, the ways of Jesus. God is conforming us into the image of his Son by us drawing nourishment from his word. And let me ask you, is this you? Is this you? Does this describe your life right now? Are you continually drawing gospel transformative truths from the word of God and bearing much fruit? Are you continually drawing water from the stream? Or are you just showing up on Sunday hoping for a rain shower? You aren't drawing water from the stream. You're just waiting for it to fall from the sky. You show up on Sunday hoping for a sprinkle. You attend Bible study for a little more water. It comes periodically. You may touch your Bible in church and in Bible study, but you don't touch it throughout the week. You don't read it. You don't meditate on it. You don't recall it. Or even your five-minute devotion in the morning. It may last right then, but does it last throughout the day? That's the question we need to ask. Because if we're waiting on a rain shower, this is no way to flourish. This is a way to just barely survive. And let me tell you, let me warn you actually, drought is going to come. There's going to come a season in your life when things get difficult. There will be a lack of water, a lack of nourishment, and you can't depend on the rain anymore. Just look at COVID, what it did to us. It dispersed the church. It dispersed us. It drew us away from things like this, meeting together to study God's word. It drew us away from meeting even in small groups at times. And for those of us who weren't drawing nourishment from the word of God themselves, they experienced a heavy season of drought in our life. But happy, flourishing, 
fruitful is the man who is meditating on the Word of God, drawing these truths throughout the day from the Word of God. His condition is one of great permanence. He doesn't go anywhere. He is planted deeply into the streams, drawing nourishment from God's Word. In every season, he bears fruits. He does not wither. Yes, storms may come, winds may come, drought may come, but he does not wither. So what can we say in the end? He prospers. In all things he does, he prospers. And now I know what you're thinking. Uh Uh-oh, Tanner just said the P word, prosper. I think we have an allergy of this word now because of the prosperity gospel, the false prosperity gospel that's going going throughout our world. And I think we just need to get straight on what this word prosperity actually means. I'll start with where, what it doesn't mean. So what is commonly known in this world as the prosperity gospel is also called the health and wealth gospel. It is a lie. It is a get-rich-quick scam that you do not need to believe. And what it says, it says that if you follow God, if you have enough faith, if you give enough money in your time, then God will bless you with physical well-being, will make you rich and will make you successful. What is it doing? It's giving you the things of this world. That is the false prosperity gospel that is in our world. It provides a very worldly, temporary blessing that's just not true. This, this meaning for prosperity is not in the psalm. It's found nowhere in this Bible. Nowhere in the Bible is a prosperity gospel true. We actually see the opposite all throughout Scripture. We see those who follow God going through times of suffering, hardship. They may lose a lot of their possession. They may even lose their life for their faith. It, it, it looks rough, but what they have is an eternal, a permanent spiritual blessing that surpasses anything in this world. They were giving true happiness, joy, and peace. See, in the context of Psalm 1, prosperity is the spiritual fruits, the growth of the blessed man. That is what the prosperity means. It's a spiritual blessing, this flourishing of the tree. You're sp- flourishing spiritually, and that is how they prosper. It's not in this world. It's not money. It's not a fame. It's not fortune. It's not a house, not a family. It's none of those things that we're promised. We're promising something better, something so much more eternal. See, the false prosperity gospel promises a temporary worldly success, and we don't need to believe it. That's not in the Bible. But true prosperity, the one that's found in the Bible, the one that is found in this psalm, is eternal spiritual flourishing that is anything beyond this world. So this prosperity of the blessed man is the one of spiritual flourishing. He takes the path of the word over the world. He delights in God's ways. He draws life from the word. He bears much fruit. He does not wither in all things. He flourishes. It will never fade but last forever. So there it is. Permanent, unchanging condition found on the path of the word. But let's look at the other side. The path of the world. We're going to see here a passing condition. This path is the one that the wicked take, the sinners take, the one that we saw back in verse 1. It says, the wicked are not so. They're not like the blessed man. They do not delight in God or his ways. They do not draw life from the word of God. They do not meditate on it. They do not cherish it. 
There is no permanence. They have no foundation. They have no life. They bear no fruit. There is no permanence. And they're tossed to and fro by the world, withering forever. They are temporary, ultimately passing away. And what are they? They are like chaff that the wind blows away. What is chaff? Chaff is that dry, scaly casing on seeds. See, in this time, this biblical time, they, they would draw wheat from harvest, and wheat are like little seeds, and they have a dry, flaky outer skin that you have to separate off. But I, I personally deal with chaff all the time because I like to roast coffee, for those of you who don't know me that well. I love to roast coffee, but when you roast coffee, the same thing happens. There's this outer little skin that flakes off the coffee bean and gets mixed up on there. You don't want that in your wheat, and you don't want it in your coffee, so you've got to get it out. So what I do, and what they would do in biblical times, same thing. I take all the my roasted coffee, and I dump it in a big bowl. And I go outside, and I take the bowl with the coffee beans, and I toss it up in the air, and then catch it. And when I toss it up in the air, thank goodness we live on Myrtle Beach, and there's always a breeze. A breeze will come by, and it will blow this light chaff away. It will separate it out, and the, the, the heavier beans, the more solid beans will come back in the bowl. And I just do this over and over until the chaff has separated completely from the coffee beans. We don't want it in our coffee. We want it to be good. So what's the psalmist saying? It's saying the wicked are like that annoying chaff in your coffee or your wheat or whatever. They have no substance. They are weightless. They, they, they can't adore, endure mighty winds and storms, but a light breeze will just blow them away. There is no permanence in them whatsoever. These people have spent their lives investing in their careers, going for the next salary, the bigger house, the promotion. Some of them have gone after fame and accolades. Some of them have completed their bucket list. And then what happens? Gone with the breeze. That's it. It's over. There is no permanence. There is no life. All that they have spent their life on is meaningless when they have died. And let me ask you this question. What are you giving your life to? Are you giving it to the path of the word or are you giving it to the path of the world? Let me encourage you, don't give it to something that's just going to last one second and then be gone. You can't take your possessions with you after you die. I love the saying, you never see a U-Haul following behind a hearse. You can't take it to the grave. A CT stud famously said, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Only what is done on the path of the word, only what's done for Christ, how we have lived our lives, how we have invested our time, talent, and treasure, how we have worshiped God in this world, how we have witnessed to others and have made a permanent, eternal impact, that is the only thing that will matter in eternity. Everything else is passing. So we need to invest our lives in something that is going to last forever. So there are clearly two paths that we've laid out so far. And there are clearly two conditions on this path. They look very different, one of permanence and one of passing. And lastly, we're going to see that they have very different destinations. They have a destination of loss and a destination of life. Let's read 5 and 6 together. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. There are two kinds of people in these verses. They're the righteous. This is the blessed, happy man. The ones who take the way of the word. They have a condition of permanence. 
And then there is the wicked and sinners who take the path of the world. They go away with the wind. They're passing. Now these two paths do not end up in the same place. Verse 5 says that there is coming a day when the destination will be here. And on that day, sinners will not stand in the congregation of the righteous. They have taken different paths. And ultimately, they will end to two different destinations. The wicked will ultimately perish. They did not love God. They did not delight in him. They did not like his way. And that has led to loss and death. Now you might say, Tanner, that's pretty harsh of God. Let me say, I I don't really think so. And it's not really that harsh of God. Why? God is giving these people exactly what they wanted. Romans 1 talks about how God actually executes justice in a way by giving people what they truly want. It says they do not want God. They do not want to live in God's design. So God gives them up to their desires. He gives them exactly what they asked for. That seems pretty fair to me. These people do not want God. So the worst thing God could actually do is to force them to spend eternity with him. And now some people may say, oh, well, I want heaven, but I don't really care about God. I don't really want him. That, that makes no sense. Heaven is where God is and reigns. So if you do not want him, you do not want heaven. That is the truth. And these people, they do not want God. They do not want to live in this way. They do not want to live in his reign. And so God gives them up. And let me tell you what separation from God means. Death, loss, eternal separation from the goodness of God, eternal separation from happiness, joy, delight, flourishing, pain and sorrow will only increase. You will be gone like chaff in the wind. That's what it looks like. That's the destination. God is the only source of what we truly seek. He is the only source of true happiness, true success, and truly being known. Well, let's look at verse 6, what it says about the path of the righteous, the path that we have been talking about this whole time, the path that the righteous man takes. It says, God knows this way. What does it mean God knows? knows? He knows this way. This word for know carries a sense of relational and experiential knowledge. God fully knows the way that we're supposed to take. How? Because he is fully righteous. He is the creator of the way. He is the way, and he has experienced the way. And how, how can we be fully sure that God truly knows this way? Look at the life of Jesus. Yes, he lived it. Jesus, being fully God and fully man, lived life that perfectly demonstrates walking the way, one that does not go after the ways of the world, but it was founded on the word of God, being the word of God, when Tempted by Satan, he combats it with the meditated truths of Scripture in his heart. He completely displays perfect love, perfect peace, perfect joy, perfect kindness, perfect self-control, perfect everything. He lived the life that we were called to live. He has walked this way before us. That's how we know he knows the way. But oh, he did not just, he's not just our perfect example. He is so much more than that. He is the reason that we are actually blessed in the first place. He is the reason that we are happy because we have true life in his name. We have eternal joy through him, through his spirit who dwells inside of us. Our destination for those who have trusted 
in Christ and follow him, have life. We have God. God gives him himself. Full joy, full delight, full happiness, full blessedness. And in no way is this works righteousness. Do not leave here saying that you just need to try harder to do better. That, this is not the message of Psalm 1. What we get a picture of is we didn't get God because we walked perfectly him, to him. We get God because God perfectly walked to us. It is through the gospel that we have been changed. We have been fully transformed in Christ to delight now in God and his ways. The ways that were for our good and for his glory. Now we walk in the path of the word because we delight in it. We have a sense of permanence, one that was everlasting and all leads to life with God. And now this is just really the point where we just need to stop and say, how good is God? How good is he? How much does he love me that he would come after me, that he would give me a heart that actually loves him and loves his way, that he sets me in ways of my flourishing, of my permanence, so that I can have true joy everlasting with him. And I think this text will lead us to many ways to respond, but I'm going to give you three that we can just walk through. I think first, this text calls us to repent. The first step is not to do better or try harder. It's to get on our knees and acknowledge the ways we have fallen short, the ways we have gone after this world, the ways we have walked, stood, and sat in the ways of this world and not delighted in God or his ways. We have neglected him and the gospel. So let's repent. We need to repent knowing that God will meet us with grace and mercy, that he is forgiving us of those things. And Jesus, Jesus lived the life that we could not live, died in our place and rose from the grave, giving us life, all that through faith in him we may have life, and now we delight in him. See, when we trust in Christ, that's when our heart is truly transformed of true delight in him and his word. So repent, that's our first application. Second, Coastway, we need to get serious about the word of God. We need to immerse ourselves in God's goodness in the ways he has called us. We need to spend time in his word, drawing out the truth so we can recall it throughout our days. And now I know a lot of you are big goal people and you're like, okay, well, tomorrow, starting tomorrow, I'm gonna get up at 5 a.m. and spend two hours in the word. Let me warn you against that. Stop right there. We need to set a realistic, attainable goal of spending time daily with God. Start with 15 minutes. Maybe it's in the morning. Maybe it's at night. Maybe it's on your lunch break. Maybe it's a time when the kids are down for a nap. I don't Start with 15 minutes. Make it a regular habit in your life of meditating on truths of God and recalling it to mind. And third, yes, we need to immerse ourselves in the Word of God but we also need to immerse ourselves in the people of God, the church. Being a Christian is not a solo event. Nowhere in Scripture do I see a solo Christian. God has given us the church to build one another up, to recall those truths of Scripture that we're drawing out, to have true life from others around you. As Jeremy likes to say, yes, great community like the church. Yes, it makes the good times twice as good and the half times half as bad. We need to immerse ourselves in the people of God. And we saw this song that we need to immerse ourselves in the people of God because if not, we are immersing ourselves in the ways of this world, in the influence of the world 
And we need people who will come around us and to encourage us to speak gospel-centered truths over us. And at Coastway, what that looks like is community groups. Community groups is a time where we come together to relate like family, reflect on the word, and to renew together. It is a time of where coming together where we can build one another up and truly flourish on the path of the word, delighting in God and his way. And if you're interested in getting connected to one of our community groups, I would say the weekender is your next step. We have a weekender coming up just right around the corner. It's on December 10th and 12th. Go ahead and sign up at coastwaychurch.com slash weekender, or we can help you get signed up out front. Um, But it's a great opportunity to immerse yourselves in the people of God. Um, But before we finish, I just want to give us a time to truly just respond. Like I said, our first application was repent. I think we all just need to spend time coming to God, truly confessing ways that we have sought after the world instead of him in the word. So Coastway, let me pray over us as we we, uh, reflect. God, I, I pray for all of us. At one point, we have all gone after the ways of this world. We have pursued things like a career, trying to find our happiness in success or happiness in family or happiness in that retirement. We have all gone in so many different ways of pleasure in this world. God, we have taken the wrong path. God, forgive us. Forgive us, and Lord, will you grow in us a sense of delight in you, in your word. Lord, let us cherish it. Let us delight in it. Let us immerse ourselves in it so that throughout the day we're speaking it to ourselves. We're speaking it to those around us. We are truly being blessed by your word, happy in your word, and blessing others around us, Lord. Help us so that we may be like that tree that is firmly established near those streams, who is bearing spiritual fruit in its season. And no, we will not wither. Founded on the word of God, we will not wither but endure. We will have a sense of permanence. There is something that's going to last forever by doing this. True prosperity, true flourishing in him, in our spiritual heavenly selves, Lord. And God, I pray, I pray that we will see the goodness of the gospel again. That God came after us in Christ. He lived the life we can never live. Died the death that we deserved and rose to life, Lord. Restore to us our first love, Lord. And let us walk in your ways to bring all glory to you in our innermost delights. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.